Welcome to the Modern CPA Success Show, the podcast dedicated to helping accounting firms stay ahead of the curve. Our mission is to provide you with the latest and greatest insights on cutting-edge tools, innovative marketing strategies, virtual CFO services, and alternative billing methods. Join us as we change the way people think about accounting. Hey, Christy, how are you today? Very good. How are you, Tom? I'm doing well. We're introducing an episode with Guillermo Rodriguez today. I think our listeners are going to really enjoy it. What were your thoughts about kind of things he talked about? Oh, I thought it was fantastic the way that he described, you know, putting together the KPIs and the forecast for working with the folks in the cannabis industry. So that was really cool. Um, I'm also looking forward to being going to the trade show with him in just a few weeks. So it was good information to hear from me and give me a little bit of more of a background of what we'll what I'll experience. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it was great. And for me, it motivated me. He knows so much about that industry that I'm thinking of the own, the niche that I work in and thinking, okay, I've got to step my game up because I don't think I could describe quite as much about the clients I work with as he can for his. So I hope people really enjoy this episode. Yeah. And he's got that, um, that tearjerker story as well. So be listening for that. He does. All right. Welcome to this version, this episode of the Modern CPA Success Show. Um, Today, we're going to keep it internal and have an internal team. Um, And I think it's going to be exciting. We'll talk niches. We'll talk a specific industry. And we're going to get into that in just a moment. I'm Tom Waddleton. I'm a virtual CFO with Summit Virtual CFO by Anders. Um, My co-host today, Christy Buchanan. Um, Christy, you haven't done co-host with me before. Do you want to tell people just a little bit about yourself? Hi, Tom. Um, I'm Christy Buchanan. I am the Director of Strategic Growth for Summit Virtual CFO by Anders. Mm-hmm. And um, I have been in this role for uh, two years and five years with the CPA firms. And um, I have over 25 years of experience in senior leadership roles with Fortune 500 companies, uh, mostly in technology and CPG. But that's where my background is from. And I'm happy to be here with you today. Excellent. Love having you here. And then our guest today, Guillermo Rodriguez. And Guillermo, welcome and would love for you to tell tell our guests just a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Tom. Um, Guillermo Rodriguez, I'm one of the virtual CFOs um, as well. And, you know, with our growth, we're we're in expanding into into different verticals. And I'm one of the virtual CFO within within the cannabis um, vertical. So my professional experience is maybe right about 20 years. And I wish I could I could say that I majored in accounting because I I loved it, but it was really because I I really wanted to get a job after I I graduated uh, (laughs) college. So I went into work in in the corporate world and and my background is in construction and in engineering. And I spent a few years working as a as a regular accountant in in financial accounting. But um, due to the, the growth and that in that company that I was working for, we had a lot of finance opportunities with acquisitions and growth. And so I shifted maybe about four or five years into my career into more of a corporate finance role. And so that's mm-hmm. how I got into uh, forecasting and cash flow management and a lot of the things that we do now do for our clients. That's more about, you know, being a CFO, being more forward look- looking and, and strategic. So that was really the, the turning point in my career. And then, um, as part of that, um, I, I love the company that I worked for because people moved around and um, I got to work in different departments or at least just learn about, you know, risk management or treasury management while I was in a mm-hmm. corporate finance role. So, um, you know, many years later uh, during the COVID year, 
I, I decided it was time for me to make a change. And then that's when I went into consulting and doing, you know, what we do now is really um, having a knowledge of all the way the different functional departments work and, and how we help guide our owners. Uh, I thought that background would be very helpful. And, and of course, uh, doing what we do now and, and helping our, our clients uh, be more profitable and, and get to where they want to get. It's a great background. So you mentioned you're one of the leaders building this niche. We talk about niches here a lot, and we'll mention to a lot of people, digital agencies is one of the big niches that we follow, but you're helping us build a cannabis industry as a niche. Can you talk about why that's a good niche? Why that for you a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, I think um, a lot of folks are getting into cannabis as far as, you know, ancillary businesses, uh, just thinking that it's, it's, it's profitable. Um, it, it's a growth industry. But it's it's really a lot about um, the purpose behind the industry, um, and while there is a lot of growth, there is a lot of struggle for for companies in cannabis to to remain profitable and to to achieve profitability. Um, and so, the main thing about what's important about being in a niche is just that really, if you have the interest to be in that industry and a lot of purpose, you're going to spend the time doing it. And so. That that's one of the big differences between working with a with a CPA and and a, a virtual CFO is really the the expertise in the industry and and it really takes a lot especially in cannabis being on top of you know the regulatory environment the nuances with taxation and really understanding the economics right now around you know price compression and all the things that are going on in the industry so really important to really stay on top of that and, and know what our clients are going through to be able to help them. So for someone who doesn't have expertise in the industry, can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Um, as far as um, the, the, the background, so, so really, um, you know, cannabis, we, we've talked about on, on the previous episode is um, it involves cultivation, processors, manufacturing, um, mm -hmm. and retail. And, um, the, the main thing about the, the industry is that there's, there's a lot of growth right now, um, started off as a, you know, two to $3 billion industry in the first years of legalization. And there it's experiencing, um, growth as new States are coming on. I think it's something like, uh, 22 States now have recreational use programs. And, and from a medical standpoint, it's now like in the low 40. So, we're almost going to get to a point where there's only there's every state in the country is going to have either a rec or a federal um, a program. But the the thing to understand um, as far as getting in the niche is is the 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 margins that um, that retailers uh, are needing to achieve right now and mm -hmm. the difficulty in, in achieving higher margins because. Um, the cannabis consumer is still very much driven by price, by price sensitivity. And so given the increased competition uh, in the industry, a lot of licenses have been issued. Um, there's an oversupply, especially in the Western states. Um, retailers are seeing some compression in, in price at the point of sale. And so that's really one of the things that as of getting into this niche, you need to be able to understand that um, you know, what is the profitability going to look like and how to guide your clients there? So I was reading that um, the cannabis industry is an, in revenue at 57 billion right now. Um, what do you see the differences are between cannabis industry and CBD? 
Yeah, that that's a good that's a good question, uh, Christine. Something really important to to explore in terms of the industry. Um, the the main differences is that you know cannabis is still considered a a Schedule One controlled substance, and so what that means is there's no interstate commerce uh, because it's it's federally illegal, and most importantly, or, or the biggest you know kind of thing that we talk about in the industry is is it's subject to um, federal taxation as a as an illegal business. So uh, to shortcut the explanation, it's it's almost like saying cannabis businesses are taxed at the gross margin level, so a much higher effective tax rate. Uh, at the end of the day for for a cannabis businesses. Uh, CBD businesses um, are operate uh, or most of them operate under the the federal uh, hemp uh, program or the or the farm bill made hemp legal in 2018. Uh, it's going to be renewed here in a couple of months. But um, so there's interstate commerce in CBD. It's not taxed um, the same way a cannabis company would would be taxed. But from an overall uh, kind of market size you know cannabis is going to be about a 30 billion dollar industry by the end of this year uh annual run rate and and i think the 60 million dollar number that you mentioned will be here in the next five years so a lot of growth projected there the thing about cbd is that it's a it's an extremely uh fast growing industry and so while it may be at five billion right now it's going to grow to uh, maybe 10 billion over the next few years if the FDA stands uh, comes in and regulates CBD products. So that's the big hiccup in that industry right now is that um, that the FDA doesn't regulate um, CBD. And so that that's another reason for, you know, the pricing compression in the industry overall is because um, consumers don't yet trust. Um, they don't have trust in in the products and the dosage uh, in the in the THC content. And so um, without that consistency, um, consumers aren't willing to pay higher prices, you know, um, and so that's something that uh, to, to look out for. The other thing, um, CBD is um, you hear probably a lot about Delta 8, Delta 9 products that that's a separate market as well. Um, when the when the farm bill was passed, the regulators didn't really understand that you could still make uh, psychoactive, you know, products out of hemp um you know hemp mm -hmm. is just defined as 0.3 thc uh and then and, and then it's legal um there's some work to increase the the limit right now with with the next farm bill coming up but um so a lot of companies are are, are manufacturing delta 8 delta 9 um products and a lot of states have have come in and and kind of recalled those products or or, mm -hmm. or illegal so that that's really something to to look out and how that plays out. Every state's going to be different in how they're they're looking at that at that market, and um, and so time will tell. But um, those are three three big markets within cannabis that kind of operate differently from a from a regulatory standpoint. So is it a case, Guillermo, then that? So see if I get this right. Cannabis not legal at the federal level. Some states have said yes. Lots of states have said yes. And then on the farm bill side with hemp, legal at the federal level, and some say some states have said, "Hey, wait, there's a certain element of this that we're going to make illegal." That's correct. Like that in right? Texas, okay. mm -hmm. like in Texas, uh, our 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 um, our farm bill allowed for uh, hemp production. I don't know if it was that same year or the next year, mm -hmm. but um, the intent was to build a uh, industrial hemp market to use the 
the the fibers of the plant uh, for building materials that that kind of thing. I, I don't think they ever anticipated the 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 derivative products that we're that we're talking about. And so in Texas, like there's a ban on smokable hemp. You can't uh, smoke hemp in Texas or sell it, but right. the production of hemp is legal. You know, and, and each of the states have come on with their own um, hemp programs or, or farm bills and have slightly slightly different rules around around hemp. Okay. Elevate your firm with a virtual CFO playbook, how to land $60,000 per year clients and provide a killer client experience. This comprehensive online series of modules provides you with the essential tools to create and deliver scalable VCFO services. Developed from Summit's successful approach, which propelled them from $500,000 to over $10 million in revenue in 10 years, this playbook will equip you with the skills to take your firm to the next level. Additionally, upon completion, you can receive 24 hours of CPE credit for the course. Ready to grow your firm? Enroll now at vcfoplaybook.summitcpa.net. In addition to the stat that Christy mentioned from dollars, one of the ones from the material you sent to us was that 80% of the U.S. population has access to either recreational or medical marijuana. And almost 50% have access to just recreational only. So a large portion of the population, yet the laws, I think, are really confusing. And it's interesting, as you're describing, Guillermo, I think many people wouldn't necessarily assume that their CFO would help them navigate that. But everyone I've talked to in cannabis, that's one of the biggest issues that the owners are dealing with is just the confusing regulations, including what we just chatted about. So some legal state, some federal. Do you want to talk about some of those obstacles? Because I, I know that gets in the way of the owners and something you you have to deal with if you're going to work with them, right? Yeah, I think it's it's the um, it's also the change and the unpredictability of how states, mm -hmm. municipalities will behave, you know, in terms of of the the regulatory, um, you know, framework. And so that that's one of the the things that that owners um, struggle with is is the constant change and sometimes regular regulation moves backwards um, in the industry and so um it's it's always changing it's it's uh it's hard to predict and um and and you have to really look out for how the the neighboring states around a market will will behave from a regulatory mm -hmm. standpoint because mm -hmm. that that affects um, you know, the overall market, you know, and, and I think a lot of folks, companies got into cannabis anticipating uh, better, you know, progress at the federal level that that just hasn't happened. And so I think that's what the industry is, is struggling with is trying to continue to 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 move forward in the current environment. And so you, you see a lot of companies that haven't made it, there'll be a lot this year that haven't as well that that won't quite make it there'll be a lot of more corporate type larger businesses that have more capital than can kind of survive the current environment okay yeah what does uh so for starting out maybe not starting out is you come in as a cfo what are some of the impacts of those laws you have to help people deal with from a financial perspective what are some of the things that they're like here are the problems i'm having in my business that maybe a normal or a different kind of industry doesn't have to deal with yeah, I, I think the the main thing is is um, is like we talk about uh, forecasting, you know, and, and helping our, our owners stay afloat. Um, one of the things that can happen is, um, you know, owners um, 
build up operators, you know, build up their operations, anticipating uh, a certain level of, of sales, uh, a certain mm -hmm. level of, uh, you know, production. And it just doesn't happen for, because the, the, the recreational programs could take longer to get off the ground, uh, okay. uh, that kind of thing. So within this industry, um, and with all, and that, that's where the, the forecasting piece becomes um, much more crucial. And that's what we really try to help our, our clients understand is, um, is, is the run rate and where they need to get to, to stay afloat. Um, I had a question last night on, on this YouTube channel that, that I was speaking on. And the question was like, how accurate is your, is your forecasting, you know, as, as a CFO? And I, I really just want to say, well, it's really accurate, you know, but <laughs> that's what I was going to say. It's perfect. <laughs> uh, the, the, the answer is, and you know, how we, we talk about forecasting is not, not that it it's predictable, but it, it allows our clients to know exactly where, if this happens, this is where you'll be, you know, how we talk about with mm -hmm. the marketing agencies is, um, you know, we'll have a client that wants to get to 10 million, but their people can only produce revenue of, 8 million, you know, and so that's mm -hmm. where we help our clients in and say, okay, if you want to get here, you have to hire people. You have to either increase your, your utilization or change your pricing, um, or, uh, you know, the different levers that we talk about. And so that's what it is. And cannabis is, is really trying to help our, our clients understand, um, what they need to do, what levers they need to pull to get to where they want to be. Uh, and a lot of that in cannabis is around, uh, making margins uh, at the retail level, increasing the, the average transaction, uh, understanding discounting and how how customers are behaving. Uh, most of the CEOs are, are are talking about how they can do that, and and it's really improving the the customer experience when someone comes in into your store and to keep keep people coming back. So that's not our expertise, but our C, as a CFO, you know, we try to help our clients see what are the metrics you need to track to get there? And if you didn't, why, and you know, what do we need to do next month to, to improve on this? Yeah. I love that thought with the forecast that you could see, I could see the value you would bring. If you're going to give me your $10 million and maybe that's my 12 month goal, your forecast should say that on a monthly basis, here's how I go from where I am up to $10 million and here are the metrics and here's what you're maybe you're hiring because you said you didn't have enough people to get yourself to 10. Well, if three months in you're missing all of your measures and you don't think it's going to make up, then you have a chance to course correct and not hire a bunch of people you planned on. And if it's going faster, then you can hire more. Mm -hmm. And so you could almost get to saying it doesn't really matter if my end forecast is accurate. The use is really in how do I help you pivot along the way so you don't make the mistake and hire a huge team of people that you're paying for while you can't support them. And you're the one helping them see that kind of stuff that mm -hmm. you're not moving the units, you're not at the price you thought you would, whatever those factors are that are in there. You did say something I want to explore though a little bit. You talked mm -hmm. about recreational programs not being in place. Is that a scenario where someone's going ahead and setting up shop, assuming that it's going to be legal and at the point where it's legal, I'm on the ground ready to run with this? Is that the usual thing that, and then when it's delayed by, you know, six months or something, that's what puts me back? Is it that? That's correct. Yeah. So okay. like in, in 22, there, there was a, a lot of wins in, in states uh, legal like Maryland and, and Missouri, uh, Christy, your, your home state, um, legalizing recreational programs that got off the ground pretty quickly. Um, but there was also some states that, that did not, that had ballot 
initiatives that failed like South Dakota. And so um, I was in South Dakota last last summer and meeting with, mm. with a lot of owners and there was a lot of frustration over that. And um, and there are cases that South Dakota would be an example where the ballot initiative failed and you do have owners. Um, they operate under a medical program, but they were anticipating uh, getting up to speed with the rec program and, and they now have to na navigate through that um, or wait and wait till the next year. And so. Um, some of that does happen, or you have um, states like New York, uh, New Jersey, that are very slow to move on issuing licenses and getting their rec programs okay. uh, up and running. Um, but I think Missouri and Maryland will be a, a good example, you know, for the rest of the industry, because the, the programs have gotten off the ground and transitioned, you know, from the medical to the rec uh, pretty seamlessly in terms of sales getting off the ground pretty, pretty fast. And so hopefully states will do a good job to avoid kind of what's happened on the Western states where we had an oversupply, too many licenses and wholesale prices have just kind of plummeted in, in a lot of those states. Okay. You probably answered my follow-up question then in that last part. I was going to ask, why don't you just wait until it's legal and then start your business and set it up front? But the slow license issue, or maybe there are limits on the number of licenses, would say if you're going to wait until it's legal and then start, you're going to find yourself way behind, it sounds like. Right. Or, yeah. or the way the application process works is there, there's limited licenses, and so you got to get in there yeah. pretty quick. Um, the licensing fees, they, they vary from, from state to state, but really it's the legal costs and, and the time um, to, that it takes to, to apply for a license. And sometimes there's a lot of cost and the license isn't issued to the applicant. So, so there's some risk with that as well. Okay. I passed along a question to you recently from an outside firm who was commenting that I think it was an expense reporting solution mm -hmm. is not available to cannabis companies. And then you also hear things about banking. Those are probably some obstacles that many business owners don't even think of, right? That they're yeah. going to find out that what's what's normally available for banking, credit card, that kind of stuff might not be available to them. Is that right? That's right. And and the cost as well. You know, like we, we do our forecasting, we have a average you know, overhead cost, you know, for, for our clients and, and cannabis might be a little bit higher because mm -hmm. there's a little bit higher banking costs. There's a cost to move, um, the cash, um, from your retail store to the bank. And so some of those costs are, are unique, um, with cannabis, but yeah, safe banking would have allowed, uh, you know, federal institution banks to, to bank, uh, uh cannabis. And I think this was about the seventh time, um, that it was introduced and uh, don't think it'll it'll move forward this year. Um, okay. And so that is something that is 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 unique into cannabis is that high percentage of the sales are, are cash, even though there's some debit solution, debit kind of pin card kind mm -hmm. pin solutions out there. Um, the majority of transactions are cash based. And um, I don't know, this is just a personal opinion, but um, that you know, safe banking was, is kind of like, like the, the answer. And I think it is, it would be a big jump to the industry. I mean, people spend more when they're able to use a credit card, but the reality is that, you know, cannabis, uh, the consumers are already kind of trained on using cash. And I think that even if safe banking were to pass, um, 
the average consumer would still use cash. I mean, and, and part of that hmm. is to just the nature of the product. People still try to hide the transaction okay. uh, from their friends or their family or whoever they think. And so um, there is still going to be a heavy cash component to the business. And now it would bring in, uh, you know, the branded credit card camp companies to, 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 to the mix as well, like the MasterCard and Visa. But in any case, I mean, I think cannabis would still be considered high risk. So those those um, branded credit card companies can still opt out of, of working with, with cannabis retailers and stuff. So there's still going to be some challenges in the industry. I mean, it's only, uh, you know, about 10 years old. So there's still a lot of a lot of growing pains and and moving forward. In the safe banking laws, just to help us understand that better at the federal level they would say, okay, it's okay for the national banks to deal with these kinds of companies and there won't be penalties for that. Is that right. mainly and what it's doing? And the reality is that they could take the risk and still um, bank cannabis companies, but these mm -hmm. institutions are, are so large, they wouldn't put their, their charter at risk, you know, okay. for a very small uh, uh, segment. So that that's another thing with safe banking. I think the, the reality of it now is that most, um, cannabis companies have some form of access to banking in terms of uh, state banks, uh, you know, local credit unions. And so it's, it's, it's available. It's just a, it's just a little bit more, a little bit more expensive and uh, more to navigate it through at the time. But okay. um, yeah. And you know, I, I, um, I'm on the, uh, on a banking committee with the national cannabis industry association. And that's one of the things that we, we focus on is just building relationships with with bankers uh, to help and institutions to help our clients because that's really the way through. I mean, regulation we can only control it up to a point, but we can keep keep building relationships um, to help our clients and, and to bridge that gap. And so that that's one thing we'll be really focused on this year is is to keep building those relationships. And we have some information out there where clients can just. Uh, or anybody can go out there and look at the various, you know, banking relationships that we've vetted across the different states and that we recommend. Okay. You know, I'll be attending the um, cannabis trade show with you in October. Mm -hmm. And I was curious as far as like people that attend, will there be bankers there or is it mostly just owners and farmers and yeah. Yeah. So we'll be at, uh, at Benzinga September 27th, I believe. So if any, anybody's out there, we'd love, love to connect. Um, and so the Benzinga's uh, capital focus. And so there is a lot of um, that is one conference that's very focused on, um, on capital banking. And you have a lot of more of the institutional type um, investors, larger uh, MSOs that that attend Benzinga. So uh, we'll get it. We'll get to uh, meet a lot of folks there too, and I'm I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, we've met quite a few CFOs who are focusing on cannabis as an industry. Yeah. Is it so? Do you primarily work with retailers when you're doing it? Or are you also working with? Is it the growers? Would that be the the other big segment for ones who actually handle the product? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is yeah, your we, focus on both of those, or do you have a? Are you sort of niched within that? No, I think we the the reality is that a, a lot of the the larger type clients that we deal with will will usually have operations within the the, the three areas you know that that we're doing some maybe doing processing and uh, okay. as well as um, as the retail side. But I think the reason I, I focus more on retail when we talk about you know KPIs and mm -hmm. and um, 
you know, driver profitability is because I think that's where most of the, the variability is. And I think that's where you can pull more levers in, in terms of improving um, profitability at the retail level. Um, but um, yeah, we, we work with, we we'll work with clients and, you know, that are involved in, in all of the three. Okay. I'm curious when you first start, are, is there a typical kind of set of issues when you first start working with a client that you often get that here are the, the main struggles they're having and the advice and things like that? Is it somewhat predictable that this is what I'm going to say they haven't dealt with, or is it kind of all over the place? I'm curious what those issues are that they might be talking about. Yeah. So, uh, you and Christy do a lot more sales calls than I do, but but I'm sure uh -huh. you've heard every time when you, when you ask them about about their books of uh, how how their books are, you know, and then everyone always says, oh, we got great books, you don't have to worry about it. And, yes, uh, you know, the onboarding process is going to be is going to be smooth, and and uh, we you know our books shouldn't be so hard. I don't I can't I, can't, I don't know how many times I've heard that. Right, and uh, and that that'll be the typical uh, type of challenge is is getting getting cost revenue in the right buckets mm -hmm. and getting books cleaned up and, and started and and ready to go and so that that is uh, the the main challenge but you know outside of the the accounting things i think it it just varies so much um in terms of the state the market you know there are states that were just um challenged by getting product into their stores they, there was just not enough cultivators you know now you have markets that have the a complete opposite problem. Um, the cultivators are losing money, and the retail stores um, maybe their problem is more around there's too many cannabis brands. Consumers are a bit confused, and they're having a hard time really optimizing their their product mix so that they have a clear, consistent message to their to their customers. And so, um, those are some of the kind of common problems that that we see and retail is is challenging because unlike our other clients where you know you receive upfront payments retail is just very much your sales is your cash and so any variability mm -hmm. in 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 seasonality and uh dip in sales uh, impacts cash flow immediately hmm. yeah are most of them pretty experienced with retail or is the KPIs, I'd love to hear some of the KPIs you use, is a lot of it teaching them how to be a retailer, as you mentioned, improving the customer experience and understanding that? Yeah, I, I, a lot of it is that, you know, the industry's half kind of sophisticated businesses, multiple state operators, mm -hmm. you have people with CPG backgrounds, uh, you know, executive backgrounds and, and things like that. And, and those folks will just really understand the analytics and their consumer behavior and that kind of thing. But the other half of the industry is um, maybe brand new business owners, um, okay. not new to business, much more newer to cannabis and how and how that industry behaves. And so that a lot of the loss and profitability profitability over the last year has been kind of unnecessarily uh, because of over discounting. And so that's one of the things that we, we want to teach our clients is, um, we have the data, but got to learn how to use it and how to look at your pricing to make sure that it's driving higher sales. If you're going to discount a product, it, there's got to be a good strategy around, you got to move the inventory or you got to drive higher sales or you got to build awareness. And, 
And so that's, that's where we're trying to, to really educate our, our clients. And you can use that with your existing data, but there's so many great tools out there that really kind of can empower the retailers to, to make quick, quicker decisions at, at the point of sale. And that those are the kind of things that we're trying to, uh, educate. That's what we, how we educate our, our clients. What are some of the metrics you found most valuable? The, the most, so, you know, as, as y'all know, we look at our metrics in terms of the production, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's sales. Um, we look at financial metrics and, and pipeline on the production side, we really focus on basket size, um, and number of transactions. So, so basket size and retail just refers to the, you know, when Tom goes into the dispensary on Friday nights, he usually spends about $80 and, and the focus is on growing that basket size mm-hmm. to about a hundred dollars and, and getting, getting you to spend more and not getting you to spend more, but having the products, um, choices for you or, or really mm-hmm. understanding that, like, for example, um, flour is really, you know, about half the revenue in, in the industry, but, you know, we found that, uh, consumers that purchase flour also purchase, uh, concentrates. And so if you're able to educate your bud tender that, you know, also offer this, um, or these products are, are higher margin, you start to drive mm-hmm. higher, higher, uh, basket size, um, at the point of sale. And so that is really one of the key metrics, um, that would, that we track and that we look at on a month to month basis is that is the average basket size. And the other one is the, the customer, uh, retention rate, uh, customer retention rate is really important in cannabis because usually you look at that metric and say, it's because it's expensive to acquire a new customer. Um, mm-hmm. but in cannabis, it's also because marketing is limited. And so you're the biggest, the, a good source of marketing is, is your existing customers that will tell mm-hmm. them, you know, I want to, you know, especially for new cannabis consumers, they'll usually ask their friends, you know, where do I go? And so building loyal customers is, is really important in cannabis. And also from, from the standpoint of, of valuation, you know, the, the business is much more valuable if you have more uh, predictability and visibility into your, into your future revenue and having a high customer um, retention rate, um, especially if you're looking to exit is, you know, lets your potential buyers know that, Hey, this business has a high level of, a reoccurring revenue and that, that there's been a good strategy in place there to, to build, to build loyalty. And something you've told me before, or at least I learned on a webinar, an advantage in the cannabis industry is, am I right? They know who each individual customer is but with through a registration process or something else. Is that true? Where many stores, especially if someone's paying cash, they don't know who that is. Otherwise they're trying to figure out probably from credit card data and matching things up. But mm-hmm. am I right? Cannabis knows their customers. Yeah, like if I go into, you know, the 7-Eleven and buy cigarettes, I mean, I don't buy cigarettes, but like something like that, they don't know who I am. They don't know how many times I purchase. But in, in, in cannabis, um, each state has a, a reporting system where for the plant itself, where the plant needs to be tracked from seed all the way to sale, but also for consumers, because there's limits on how much you can buy in a, in a day. And so the the store owner needs to know when the when the customer's coming in and how much they're buying. Uh, but all the data is there in, in, in the point of sale system to be able to make more of those, you know, empowered decisions. 
Yeah. That sounds incredible. And the the ability to use that, right? Someone sees that Christy was a longtime customer and all of a sudden she stops coming to be able to do something and reach out that maybe she switched to a different place. And can I do something to try to pull her back into my store that many stores wouldn't even have that ability to notice mm -hmm. when someone yeah. disappeared from them? More, more, uh, more targeted marketing um, around your, your, your marketing too, is that it helps with that. Yeah. I've even what? seen some advertising where um, where some of the um, cannabis stores in Missouri, they actually mm -hmm. are doing delivery now, like an Instacart. Um, and so I wonder if that's another avenue to track some sales or get incremental business. Yeah, yeah. And um, and we work with with delivery companies as well. That's another part of the the retail, the uh, supply chain that, that, that we didn't mention. But um, yeah, the, the, the delivery part of cannabis, it was huge, uh, especially during COVID, but you're starting to see, um, more sales from the delivery standpoint. And, and a lot of consumers still prefer like, you know, kind of that discretion, um, around it. And so, um, it, it's especially important to know, like if your customer base is, it includes those customers that, you know, maybe don't, don't want to be seen or, or whatever, you know, you, you, you have those options available. How, so we've gone the whole time without any kind of cannabis jokes. Is that typical? Because I know when we were at the retreat, a couple things started and you you had one after another that was obvious you had heard these before. Is that your typical that in meetings, even with like when you go to this conference, is it going to be a lot of people making little fun references or is it a much more serious group than what I would like to believe? It's not a very serious group, uh, especially the the pre parties or, or the after parties are, are not very serious. Uh, it's, 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 it's not a place that, uh, not a lot of business talk going on, but a, a lot of fun. And so, yeah, that, that's really what, what I, what I love the, about the industry is that in some ways it's, it's laid back and, um, and folks really, uh, you know, have a purpose for, for what they're doing. And, and there's a lot of, new business owners that, you know, for the first time have had a chance now have a chance to, to build, you know, generational wealth and, and get into an industry that they love. And so I, I really love that about the industry. It's cool that they're fun. Mm -hmm. It does make me wonder, and maybe there's not a typical, the people that are opening businesses, do they tend, do you tend to find that they're passionate and have been maybe a cannabis user and a real believer in this, or do you think it tends to be more, they're good business people and they're looking at this and saying this is a money-making growth industry don't really care mm -hmm. what the product is yeah it, it's a combination of, of both because i mean i will say there's a lot of a lot of good good business people um mm -hmm. in cannabis but I, I will say i have not met um an owner a client that doesn't have some kind of story of how they've been helped by by cannabis in terms of or maybe a family member um or that you know have been previously um, impacted by the the harsh laws, the, the drug laws in the country, and have mm -hmm. now um, our business owners selling the the very product they were uh, you know incarcerated for or dealt with the charge some years back, and now are selling the product or, or in business legally. And so um, there's just um, kind of endless stories um, within the the industry, and and so most everyone I talk to has some kind of purpose behind why they're doing what they're doing. Interesting. Any particular ones that really stand out for you? Anyone's stories that really moved you? 
yeah there was one that almost made me uh that, that almost made me cry oh, <laughs> i was okay. at a uh at a hemp conference here at, at texas a m and um so industrial hemp is used for uh, housing as well it's a brand new um you, you probably won't see it for many many years until the infrastructure is built out but um people are using um, industrial hemp to build houses because it essentially builds um it's mold free. There's no way to get mold. That's it's very uh, breathable. Uh, mold is a big health issue now, and um, people are become more aware of that. And so there was a um, an, a panel, and uh, this person was talking about how he was um, his wife was uh, um, they found mold in the house, and and she actually had a, a, a their their child was uh, a stillborn because of the, the issue yeah I'm, i was just almost in tears wow and so he changed his business uh and it became a, a, a processor to, to build their own house with with these materials uh because of that of that experience and so uh you know the product from an industrial standpoint too is, is just uh, has incredible health benefits and has the potential to to save lives the crop itself is very good for the environment. Um, and so I, I think it's something that as people become more aware as the, the, the economies of scale um, grow, I mean, it, it, it has amazing potential to, to do good um, from a health standpoint for and, and the environment as well. And so it, it is just a it's just a, a cool thing to be a part of, you know, to help move forward. Yeah, that's an amazing story. And yes. I can hear your pa passion for this also, Guillermo, when you talk about yeah. just your understanding the industry and wanting to help people out is it, it's inspiring mm -hmm. um definitely growing from the virtual cfo now we talk about in the agency space kind of a three to five million dollar revenue tends to be our main target those are the ones who can probably benefit the most and afford what we do is there a similar measure that you would say within cannabis companies yeah i, I would say we're right about the same range you know when you start having cannabis operators that are that are over 20 million they're usually um, multiple state operators um, that hire their own controller fpna departments and and all that kind of thing and so yeah we're we're really still focused on the on the 2 to 20 million dollar range um, and when we get even smaller i mean as you know uh, a good reason to to hire virtual CFO in that early stage is, is if you're anticipating really rapid growth and it, it's a good idea to have mm -hmm. someone guide you through that growth in the early stages, even if you're, if you're just starting up. So a $2 million, if you're on the retail side, is that typically broken in like a certain number of stores that you would say that's kind of what this would probably look like, or is that not a good way to look at how big that business is? Yeah. Uh, a lot of times a license will be, uh, you, you can have you know, one license and, and multiple stores. Um, you don't have to issue different licenses um, for different stores. But yeah, I mean, on average, I know we talk about average revenue uh -huh. uh, per, uh, I think in, in cannabis, it's somewhere around $1,000 um, per square foot um, for retail, um, if you want to think about it like that. And okay. so, um, if you think about it in size, you know, 2 million, you can kind of, kind of do the numbers, but uh, okay. yeah, a, a 2 million store would probably be one location. And okay. when you start to get up into the, the 10 million, you have multiple locations and, um, you know, people wise, it, 
varies somewhere from 200 on on up for you know kind of your average revenue per employee we, you know we look at that in cannabis as well and so um the the industry average is right at about 200,000 per employee in terms of revenue per per person okay just having access to those measures i think is probably really valuable to some of the people that you um that you talk with i think for people who are listening even if they're this isn't the industry that they want to focus on hearing how much you know about the regulatory environment and kind of what those metrics are i hope is having people wonder do i know this about the industry that i focus in um and where would i go get that knowledge and things like that just to see the value that you could bring to your your clients in there mm -hmm. yeah and, that, and you know I, I i work with clients in like all different industries and that's that was kind of my focus is is um when I changed my careers from from corporate to being a consultant is that I, I really wanted to to prove out that being a consultant is more about um, yes, it's important to be an expert in, in, in that niche, but also part of the growth is learning how to apply the consulting approach to, to any business and and having the curiosity to ask the questions and and dig out the information at the end of the day, we're just trying to uncover how do you how do you make money how do you build how do you build cash flow and asking all the right questions and getting to the answers and building the kpis regardless of the regardless of the industry but with that being said uh it's much easier if you focus on one industry you don't have mm -hmm. to use as much uh, uh brain power and, and you, you you can scale much more efficiently by focusing on a on a niche yeah and help your clients more Yep. I, I think that's a great description as we talk about being advisors to clients, having that knowledge. And I, I love what you said about asking questions because you probably found similar to me. The questions are the ones that can be the most powerful more than saying, I want you to do one, two and three, asking them something that makes a client really think about where they're going and then advising them to get to that destination is really important. Yeah, like a like a good therapist, right? The 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 pause is really powerful. Yeah. <laughs> Ask a question and then just waiting. <laughs> That's a great point. I think of times where clients have gotten very personal with me and they've said, this feels like a therapy session, which <laughs> I love. I love that they trust me to bring that. Usually that's when they get into something going on in their personal life, but I appreciate that there's that level of trust there. Yeah, we, it's it's necessary, right? We, we got to, yeah, you got to have the, the trust for a good consulting um, relationship and to, to really be able to help. Yeah. Maybe as a closing, one or two resources, if someone said, okay, you piqued my interest, I want to learn a little bit more about cannabis industry, where might you send someone who feels like they don't know very much now to learn more about in general as a business industry? Yeah, I, there's a, being a, a you know, a virtual CFO, I, I really focus on on data. And mm -hmm. so like really understanding all the different markets, data, revenue, consumer behavior. Um, there's a few kind of data analytics platforms out there like uh, headset or, or BDSA that can help you okay. get the, you know, get the numbers and there'll be more of those as the industry grows. And if you're trying to learn the, the regulatory, I'll, I'll throw out the, the NCIA because uh, we're a part of that, uh, the National Cannabis Industry Association can give you a little bit more background on what are the initiatives from a regulatory uh, standpoint, kind of nationwide. Excellent. And then you already mentioned a conference, so there are also conferences mm -hmm. that people could attend, right? Yeah, conferences, and and then in your within your own state, um, 
you know, there, there's usually some kind of trade group, you know, Texas, where we were hemp state. And so we have the, the national, I mean, the uh, a hemp uh, coalition, the Texas hemp coalition, uh, Missouri has the uh, MOCAN. And, and so just get involved within your, um, within your, your state. And it takes some time to, to, to forge those relationships to, to kind of just force yourself in there, but, but you just got to do it. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you both very much. For me, I found it very educational. I'm fascinated by the topic, but just your demonstration of the knowledge. But then, as I said at the beginning, just the reinforcement of if you're in a niche, the value you can get by bringing the, this understanding to your clients and then be doing similar work across clients is really powerful. Yeah. Thanks, Tom. I'm sorry I wasn't able to think of any good good puns on this one, but I'll work on that. <laughs> in the next 20 minutes when you're doing something, we're going to come to you one after another. <laughs> Well, thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy this podcast? Visit our website, summitcpa.net, to get more tips and strategy for achieving modern CPA firm success. We're here to be a resource in this ever-changing industry.